Welcome to the Beer Travelers podcast from All About Beer. I'm your host, Andy Crouch, and we'll get to our conversation about Portland's intriguing beer scene in a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Portland, Maine is another of America's most overlooked beer scenes. Occasionally mistaken for the other beer powerhouse of the same name, the East Coast Portland plays host to a number of quintessential American craft breweries and an easily accessible beer scene that is perfect for a day trip or a longer stay. And today, we have two great local guests to guide us on our journey. Carla Jean Lauder is a freelance beer writer based just outside of Portland. She has written columns and articles for a number of publications, and her current gig is with local Beer and Weed magazine. Carla is smart, funny, and plugged into Portland and the main beer scenes. She's opinionated and engaging, and when she talks, folks in the know listen. Joining Carla today is Benjamin Moore, a freelance writer and photographer in Maine. Ben is best known as the active beer geek on Instagram. His photos are striking, and he captures the spirit of the beer scene in the state through the lens of his camera. I'm excited to jump into an exploration of the history and present-day treasures of the Portland, Maine beer scene. On this, the new episode of Beer Travelers. Welcome to the Beer Travelers podcast from All About Beer. I'm your host, Andy Crouch. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite cities for beer. Frankly, just one of my favorite cities, period. It's the other Portland, Portland, Maine. We often hear about Portland, Oregon and the fantastic beer scene there. You know, little less known is, is what's going on up north in Maine. This is a beer scene and a town of only about 70,000 people right on the water with a beautiful old port. Um, you know, weekends and the evenings can get a little bit rowdy downtown. Uh, but it is one of the jewels of the American beer scene. It has a lot of history, a lot of background. Uh, and it also has developed over time and evolved into um, a place that once was known for English style ales and now is known for just about anything under the sun to go along with a fantastic restaurant scene. So let's explore Portland, Maine today uh, with two fantastic local guests. And we're going to start today with uh, my good friend, Carla Lauder, who's going to talk a little bit about the history of craft beer in the city. There's, you know, we have talked many, many times about, you know, the OG players in town, whether it's Geary's and Allagash and Gritty's and Shipyard. Um, you know, where where do you think that, you know, the the history of beer in Portland really starts? Well, I think you actually have to start a lot earlier than that, is that uh, Maine being the first state to impose prohibition uh, yes. is a big deal. Um, we've got Neil Dow, who is considered, you know, sometimes the father of prohibition. And that kind of like put us on a path of, you know, kind of having this odd relationship with alcohol. So they had um, at one point... Um, during Prohibition, there was actually a, a famous event called the Portland Rum Riots, where people were convinced that there was this secret stash of liquor at the City Hall, and they basically stormed City Hall trying to get at it. Um, and there's this kind of, um, you know, unique, uh, you know, tenuous relationship with uh, alcohol for a long time in Maine's history. So when, um, you know, D.L. Geary came in and did, you know, his first brewery op uh, opened in 1983 or uh, incorporated in 1983, opened in 1986, one of the earliest breweries in the whole country, really, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you know, in that kind of Sam Adams era. It was it was kind of a surprise. People had to kind of like rewrite the history of Portland to kind of accept this um, new alcohol. There's even an article that I found once from the old history, uh, you know, from the archives that says, you know, it shall be a surprise if Portland ever has any breweries, you know, yeah. and, and and suddenly now it's this, uh, you know, this hub of what's going on in New England beer. And uh, so it, it has evolved, but I think that laying those foundations through um, Geary Brewing, um, that, you know, kind of in the 80s um, and a couple of others that came right after um, Gritty Shipyard and then and even in the 90s, Sebago kind of laid the groundwork for, OK, we can do this in a way that isn't harmful. This is not, you know, going to be, you know, uh, it was a testing the waters mm -hmm. really of. Of can we do this in a good way? And I think that those successes, those kind of pioneers pushing that through, you know, they were publicans, they were, you know, everybody knew who they were, um, you know, everybody knew the top, you know, there, not, nothing bad happened, <laughs> that they were kind of allowed to kind of like create that 
that on-ramp for what happened in the in the earlier 2000s which it really kicked off our craft beer boom yeah and there's these these just big names david geary and alan pugsley you know rob todd to you know some of the publicans and writers alan eames you know for ben what is your sort of relationship with the history of of beer in portland um and in you know the sort of some of these founding figures the brands are certainly um they paved the way for what we see now. And it's an interesting thing that people have turned away from the styles, but the breweries are still there in the history and the, the groundwork has been laid years ago for what we see now. But actually I just looked up, um, it's funny, Wikipedia says in 1983, Geary's was one of 13 microbreweries in the entire United States. Yeah, really early days. <laughs> and you you referenced the style. And that's what I think one of the, the interesting things here, and I referenced it a little bit earlier, is that Portland really did have a, a like a defining style uh, of flavor of beer. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, it's actually funny. I was talking to uh, an, an owner of a more modern brewery um, opened about 11 years ago, and I won't uh, say who, I don't, but uh he was talking that maybe 15 years ago, if you were talking about Portland, Maine, people say like you went to CBC and you went to talk about Portland, Maine, they'd be like, Oh, the, the English beers that taste very like off flavor. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Like they have nothing to offer the beer industry at the moment. And now it's a very well sought after destination that people come up here just for beer vacations. Um, not too far after that. And uh, I feel like you needed that traditional English style to then propel what we see now, you know, the, the Ringwood yeast, those, those styles, the Allen Pugsley systems, those paved the way for now people wanting to branch off and try different styles, hazy IPAs, New England IPAs, things like that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting um, that I, I wish I would have been in the beer industry 15 years ago to, to see people's reactions of like, oh, something's happened in Portland, Maine, and everybody else in the United States is like, sure, yeah, cool, I, I guess. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll add to that if I can. Um, it- the other uh, thing there, which is kind of cool, is that even that English style, you know, those ales were reactionary to what was being brewed in the U.S. at the time, which is primarily lagers. So, like, it was kind of like, hey, we want to go back to brewing something more flavorful or something, you know, kind of with body, you know, as opposed to what had been co- become the national dominant um, thing. And I think that really encompasses the whole craft beer movement, right, is that we didn't want to drink the same the same mm-hmm. thing. We wanted to have some creativity there and bringing over what was already working in Europe, um, you know, that was not lager based um, was a really good strategy. And that that just dis- really disrupted, um, you know, kind of the beer style scene at the time. And then further that Rob Todd disrupted it a little bit more by bringing in the Belgian style um, with Aligash debuting Aligash White really early on. Um you know, pouring it at the Great Lost Bear, you know, as, as, as one of the first places it was poured. And so, but that, you know, again, it kind of broke the mold of what styles were out there. And then, you know, kind of after that point, I feel like after Aliash kind of opened, you know, Pandora's box of, oh, beer can taste like mm-hmm. all these things. Let's uh, let's get as creative as we can. We've talked about a number of different names here, and I think it's go- it's important to go back and talk about them in a little bit more detail. You know, obviously, you know, D.L. Geary, David Geary, you know, starting his place was one of the, you know, one of the earliest east of the Mississippi. Um, but the defining characteristic is one, you know, as we've talked about, is one of this 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 yeast style called Ringwood. And it's, you know, an English, you know, just, you know derivative yeast um, that was really brought to the United States and publicized by an individual by the name of Alan Pugsley, uh, who then went on to, you know, he assisted, you know, DL in opening Geary's and ran that for a few years before there was a falling out. And then eventually went on to, you know, start up Shipyard with a partner. And his flavor, um, you know, if, for those who don't know, this is, you know, Uncharitably can be called popcorn or butter. Uh, it, it typically focuses more on a, a, a diacetyl as a pot as a net positive. Um, it's just a very strongly charactered English style yeast that comes with a very particular type of open open fermenting you know brewing system. Um, and Alan Pugsley also kind of was the Johnny Appleseed of 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 Ringwood throughout New England and up and down the East Coast. I mean, you all the way back to Dogfish Head's first, you know, was a Ringwood brewery back in the, you know, back in its earliest days. And his influence on the scene has been has been incredible. Um, you know, and we'll certainly talk about Rob Todd and Allagash Plenty here, but 
But Carla, tell us a little bit more just sort of about you know Alan Pugsley and the role Shipyard has played in in you know the history of craft beer and brewing in Portland. I think there's a lot up to say about that kind of defining what a beer flavor should be. So again, you know, in an audience where you've really primarily been confronted with the really, you know, crisp, dry, very light bodied lagers, Mm -hmm. basically teaching the audience, um, in, you know, that that there are certain flavors that that are, go beyond that. So, you know, a, a really good brown ale. Uh, Shipyard had a has a beer. I get this. I think they still make it. Um, Shipyard is a beer called Export, which, again, like by itself, an, an, an excellent example of like the really traditional English styles. Mm-hmm. And like it became incredibly popular because it was like an every man's drink, but also just had more flavor to it, more going on. Um, I, the detractors from that kind of Ringwood um, flavor argue that that in some instances basically there's too much of that diacetyl note yeah. there's too much of the butter it's a little too oily you know kind of a mouthfeel and there's you know it can be argued either way is it really too much or are we just you know walking away from you know our tastes are changing for yeah. our, for those styles and i think it's a little bit of both i think i think uh you know it's kind of gotten amplified over time a little bit um with that ringwood yeast but also at the same time our our flavors people have gotten much more into the bitterness of hops the 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 kind of dry dry hopping things and and taking them in new flavor directions but i think that that you can see um the systems you can still see the systems yeah. that um that pugsley set up all over new england they have like little plaques on their um, you know, on their big uh, open top fermenters, you know, at breweries across, you mm-hmm. know, the Northeast. And it's still it's still a thing. And it's still a thing that can be done well. It's just for, you know, for, you know, 2023, it's a little bit out of fashion. Um, it doesn't yeah. make it bad. Um, but it's but it really did kind of like set the tone for this is the this is what can be possible in beer styles. And, it, and it's why you went to you see like the brew pubs of the 90s. They all had you know, a, a pale ale, a yep. brown ale, an amber ale, mm-hmm. because that was the archetype. That was that was what you set up. And it became the template um, that would lead to the experimentation later on. And Ben, we've, we've name checked Rob Todd and Allagash. And this is sort of an obvious question, but what has Allagash meant to the city of Portland? Can it be characterized? Ooh, um I think Allagash has been many things to Portland over the years. And now it's sort of like the North Star. Like when it does something, it kind of leads the way in, in Portland quite a bit and, and perhaps the country. But uh, back in the day, you know, they, they've endured when Maine only had 20 breweries and now mm-hmm. they have 120 breweries in the state. So uh, they've endured with a real consistent brand and a real positive uh, attitude towards the whole industry while kind of having that upwards uh the the hill to walk up on that was hard to sell that style of beer when they first released um which i would love to see a uh a podcast with maybe peter bissell and rob todd (laughs) on to be like so we both tried to sell hazy beers when no one liked hazy beers yeah uh and and just their their uphill battles that they had to do in sales wise would be a fascinating thing to hear but yeah it's i feel like without rob todd and allagash um you know, and he's such a humble dude. When you really meet him, he's yeah. you know the dress like he owns a crazy big company that everybody's heard of, and uh, or beer that everybody loves, and um, yeah, they're they they do a lot for the community. And it's a pretty entertaining uh, situation that it, just proximity wise, you know, almost all of this brewing that we're talking about, it was, especially in the early days, happened within maybe a half a mile of one another on this one street called Industrial Way in Portland. And I don't know at at, at its peak how many different breweries it has had on that street, but it may, the street is not, like I said, not very long, but it's maybe six or eight. Um, it, you know, yeah. It's, I think it's seven, like seven now. Yeah. yeah so, and so Cara, yeah. tell, tell us about industrial way. So industrial way, you know, is what it sounds like. It's kind of like this mixed use industrial park type area where, you know, they have office space, they have warehouses, they have, you know, nobody would ever go there unless you needed to, you know, pick up a package or something. But Allagash put down their their brewery there. um, And also DL Geary's um, is around the corner in that same area. And that, you know, originally, you know, tasting rooms were not a thing. People did not Mm -hmm. go to visit these places. They were production facilities only. And actually, Geary's didn't have a tasting room until like, I think maybe six, seven years ago. Like they, they, they were not into the idea of people coming and visiting their brewery. 
But Alan Gash did. They opened a small tasting room. You got free samples at the end of your tour, right? So then it became a, oh, this is a process that you can come and see. So that area being inexpensive, relatively speaking, for kind of industrial equipped spaces with, you know, floor drains or big doors that you could put equipment in kind of, I think, opened, you know, the eyes of the newer brewers that came in, you know, in the early 2000s going, oh, I need a space, but I don't want to build from scratch. Where do I put something like mm-hmm. this? I'll put it in a bay of an industrial thing. So um, main beer companies started in that um, in that area. Um, after they moved out, Bissell Brothers took over their space. Rising Tide started behind that building. Um, and uh, they they eventually got their own space in another place. Uh, Austin Street's still there. Uh, there's Definitive is there. Battery Steel is now there. Uh, foundation is on the other side and has now expanded into where Bissell used to be. Um, and uh, it's it's basically you could spend an oh, entire level. day in Portland and never leave industrial way. Um, yeah. My only complaint being that the parking is awful. Right. But like but it's but it's a whole but it became this little like nursery neighborhood for new breweries to like yeah. get started until they could, you know, get a second facility or or get somewhere bigger. And Allagash, going back to Allagash, they would help them out. These little breweries in, you know, the early 2000s. Oh, I got a bag of unmilled grain and I don't have a, you know, mill. You know, bring it over. We'll we'll mill mm-hmm. it at our place. Or, oh, do you need to borrow a forklift? Oh, we'll drive it over. You know, there was this very not competitive, but community, like Ben said, community spirit. Yeah. But I think... Allagash played a big part in kind of setting up that first generate first well first second wave generation right. uh, of brewery success, and I think that that's continued now. Allagash has just announced that they're building a new facility that's going to focus on basically the the tasting experience kind of for people to visit that is not in industrial way um, because essentially it's it's exceeding their ability to yeah. handle the amount of people that want to come um so i think that's a great move for them it's still a couple of years out but they have announced that um but i think they're still going to continue they, they are still going to pr- continue to do the production there they're probably going to do more barrel aging if they have more space to do that um and i'm i'm pretty excited to see that happen um but that I, that might fundamentally change a little bit about um you know kind of how that industrial way area is experienced um you know as a beer drinker but. one of the things that uh, carla referenced earlier is is a bar called the Great Lost Bear. And if we're talking sort of history in Portland, um, you know, the bear is like, is, is, you, know, you talk to any of these first, second, third wave brewers, that's where, you know, that's the, that's the bar in town that, that put, you know, craft beer on early and was an early supporter of places like Allagash and Geary's and Shipyard and things like that. Um, ben, can you talk a little bit, and I'll have Carla weigh in as well, like, talk about, you know, the role the Great Lost Bear you know, has played in the development of craft beer and, and sort of what it has also meant to the city of Portland. Absolutely. Uh, Great Last Bear arguably is the first craft beer bar in Portland. Um, I don't know of anyone that started before them uh, in 1979 is when they opened. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been sort of a North Star of, of the craft beer industry in terms of the retail bar sort of area. Um, they, I think a lot of breweries have poured their first beer at Great Last Bear, including mm-hmm some of the ones we're talking about. Um, and it's just one of those bars that you feel like will never go away and has all the tchotchkes on the wall that yeah. doesn't feel <laughs> Ruby Tuesdays or something. Um, I don't know. It, it's got a vibe that you can't really uh, describe. It's it's the bar is this big U-shaped bar that's very communal and you can meet anybody at the bar um, from any walks of life. There's about, I think, 50 taps of various beers throughout the state. Uh, they have an Allagash corner that they just have Allagash beers on tap. Um, it's a fascinating bar. It's uh, it's one of those places that I think I've had the same chicken sandwich since I was 10 years old. There, <laughs> and it's tasted the same. And honestly, I can't argue that that's one of my favorite things to get in, in town. Um, it's consistent. It's great. Uh, but yeah, I feel like they, there's been a lot of breweries that have, that they've taken a chance on and they've said, yeah, we'll pour your beer. If no one else is buying it, great. We'll buy it. We'll put it on. Yeah. It's one of those, it's, it's very much a 1980s, 1990s style beer bar. And it, it just, it, as anybody who has ever been to one, you could picture it. This is, this is that place, but Carla, tell us about the great lost bear. 
Yeah. And I, I think I recently wrote a column um, about the Great Lost Bear. And I, I think I used the phrase, it has never suffered a bar rescue makeover. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's <laughs> nothing has changed since the day that thing is open. Um, but what I, you know, I think what's been core to the Great Lost Bear success too, is that not only are they just pouring, you know, it's basically one of the places that you can probably get the most variety of main brewed beer mm -hmm. in one place, if not the uh, you know, biggest selection of main beer, but also every Thursday night forever, they have been doing like a showcase of one brewery at a time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Thursday's Tobago night next Thursday's, you know, whatever the next, next brewery is. And, and they'll have a special on the beers. So they're cheaper. It's like a happy hour kind of thing. And you go and usually the brewers there or some, you know, somebody who works there to answer questions or just hang out. And they're like kind of buying you beers as, as they go. And it's just like, Hey, it's like a meet the brewer night every yeah. week which is you know connecting people to the beer scene you know who maybe you know would never wouldn't be going you know up to bangor to go to orno brewing company yep. you know by themselves but hey they can have three or four of their beers on tap chat with the owners like that's a that's a total experience in and of itself and uh and their food is delicious they have yeah. great wings they have um they have a dessert that i that's called cake in a jar that i order every time i'm there <laughs> and it's just one of those things that like you would think that by now you know, something would have, you know, some quality, you know, something would have changed, but no, nothing has changed. And that's an excellent, excellent thing. I'm excited yeah. that nothing has changed. And it's one of the few places I go in and I go, ah, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's not different. Yeah. Yeah. No, we see so much, we see so much change. And I, I wrote a book, you know, almost 15 years ago now called um, The Good Beer Guide to New England. And in that book, I focused, you know, on some great beer bars and, and the Great Lost Bear was one of them. And this is classic place. But as Cara says, you walk back in there, as Ben noted, like when he's 10 years old, like you walk in there, this place is the exact same. It does not change. It is what it is. And there's something you know to be said with, you know, all the advancements and tap rooms and all the new opportunities uh, for for breweries to to sell their beer to the public. It's nice to have that kind of throwback place, a place that's been open since I think 1979. Yeah. Um, that just has just so much history in it and has never, you know, wavered since I think the earliest days it served, you know, Geary's beer, you know, as some of the first craft beer it served, um, from that mission of supporting and promoting, you know, main craft beer. And so if you're in town, I definitely recommend coming by for a pint and and a chicken sandwich and then some cake in a jar. So yeah. Uh, there are some other fantastic bars in uh, in Portland. We're going to talk a lot about those. Uh, but before we get into sort of this next round here, we'll just take a quick break here and have a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Want more beer for your ears? The new All About Beer podcast, hosted by M. Sauter and Don Tess, takes a deep, engaging dive into the hottest topics in beer. Do you need to know what the heck a cold IPA is? Check out the first episode wherever you get your pods. New episodes drop every other Thursday. And now, back to Beer Travelers. We are back with the Portland, Maine episode of Beer Travelers. And today, now we're going to get into what we call a rapid-fire lightning round. It's quick questions, off-the-cuff answers, sort of the first things that come to your mind. And then we quickly devolve from this format and just start you know, going off on our own tangents. And this is just what happens. So we'll see you know, where this goes. Um, so let's start with Carla and... Where do we want to start? There's a lot of different, a lot of different places in Portland making a lot of different kinds of beer. Sometimes you have a city that's all IPA or all lot, mainly lager. You know, Portland is one of those towns that does does quite a bit. So let's start with with this area. What would you say, Carla, are the top three breweries that you're going to go to for sour or mixed fermentation beer? Uh, well, Allagash is the first. Um, so that that's a controversial <laughs> take. <laughs> <laughs> it is <laughs> well it's funny because like if, it, that's always the first take is everybody's like well allagash yeah, and, yes. and then you just yes. <laughs> you just keep talking um i would say that there are there are a few breweries that are doing some really good kettle sour stuff and i used to not like that because it was kind of everywhere um but i would say that bandit has this um has a sour series sour program that's really good and so does oxbow um oxbow does a lot of mixed firm, um, interesting barrel aging. But if you want like that kind of kind of kettle sour tartness, I, I really I'm a go to for bandit on that um, because they know what they're doing and they always come out good. It's not um, it's not kind of a roulette with, you know, mm -hmm. get the, you know, I don't know if it's going to come out good. Ben may disagree with me on that, though, because I, I am a less of a kettle sour gal that I am a, uh, you know, kind of stored in a cellar and make it funky forever uh, sour gal. So. Ben, what's your take? Uh 
Allagash and. Um, <laughs> Eventually we'll get to uh, IPA, can... even though Allagash <laughs> has an IPA now. I don't know that they'll come in top. So maybe for one of these, we'll say not Allagash and. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Allagash if you asked me IPA, just because I just had their hop reach and it's been actually very good. And they told me the story of how they that recipe. But um, so to answer the kettle sour mixed fermentation question, um, Allagash for sure, Oxbow for sure. Uh, just history wise, they've been doing uh, kettle sours, mixed firm, um, cool ship, even Allaga- uh, even Oxbow has been doing cool ships up in uh, Newcastle. So those guys have, have sort of had a good pedigree. Um, and man, sour beers, I'm kind of off the sour beer train. So I'm kind of like, if it's not like an Allagash cool ship sort of sour, yeah. like a, a rare thing, it's like a, in a can, like a, a kettle sour. Um, I used to love uh, Four River. Yeah. Their Preble series is good. And they would rotate those flavors quite a bit. Um, yeah. And unfortunately yeah, they're not with it. us any longer. So that's a, that's a sad one to lose. Yeah. Yes. Um, they had a really good cranberry and uh, occasionally they would do a uh, strawberry rhubarb. I'll give a mention too, to foundation as well. They've, they've come out with a couple called the such and such fruit is my jam series um, that are really good. Um, some of them have been excellent. They've done all kinds of fruit, you know, everything from, you know, the typical, you know, raspberry, whatever to like things like guava. And they've been very, very interesting. Uh, they rotate all the time though. So like, I can't point to one that's like my favorite, but they've been, uh, they've been doing that for a couple of years now. And, and I think that was a nice compliment. I went to the foundation's anniversary the other day and they said, yeah, yeah, we, we started off saying, you know, oh yeah, we're going to do all Belgian styles. And they, <laughs> they never did, um, which I thought was fun. Yeah. yeah. That is a, uh, I, you don't see a lot of Belgian themed no. or focused breweries opening up. Uh, right. you're right, right about now. Hopefully that'll change again at some point, but, um, Ben, We'll get to you for this one, and it's kind of the big one. It's you know, what are your top three local breweries for IPAs, for for hopheads, for haze? Those may be three separate categories, um, but apparently this is going to be a hot, hot take if Allagash is making this list. I'm curious to see where you go. I'd say it, it would be fair for the hotheads to separate the hazy from the non-hazy, just because yep. for me those are very two different categories of IPAs uh, in terms of how I taste them and how I experience them, but. Uh, I would say for the not hazy category, the the hop reach from Allagash, fantastic beer. Um, they really, they told me that the story behind that was they basically would do these long bracketed sort of tournament style, like with the employees to see like what they would like blind tasting wise until they got to the final bracket. And that's what was hop reach essentially. Um, so they went through a very extensive research and development process for that. Um, and it's a nice solid beer. It's great. Um, and it's sort of in the same category in my head as like main beer company where it's nice. It doesn't have that West coast, but it has that, it leans towards that. It's mm-hmm. clear. It's, it's, balanced, it's nice. Um, and then another IPA that's not hazy would probably have to be. Ooh, um, now I'm kind of trying to find them in my brain where to say, uh, cause everybody else is hazy right now. If I had to have a beer that wasn't, uh, I don't know. This is the general generational difference between the two of us. I, I can list you off 10 not hazy beers. And... <laughs> then you, we can shift. Ben can just shift into haze if he wants to. We yeah. can hit, hit yeah. Carl up for West just Coast. Just do and... all the haze. Just do all the haze and I'll do all the not haze. <laughs> hey, an honorable mention was it would be Geary's HSA for non hazy IPAs just because it was such a revolutionary IPA back in the day um when like no one was really doing that kind of stuff but anyway um these are the hottest takes the show has ever seen and and for folks who don't understand Mm -hmm. which eight you know we're dropping these things like geary's hsa like ben what is hsa uh hampshire special ale um i think it's an ipa um it's very hoppy it kind of came out i want to say like in the 90s maybe early 90s uh and it was kind of in a time where no one was really doing that kind of stuff and it was a higher abv higher bitterness um, big beer that sort of like was on its own in a, in a state where like everybody was sort of doing lagers or for Allagash's sake, uh, you know, Belgian, uh, with beer. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting beer back in the day. And even if you have it now, you're like, Oh, it's refreshing, not hazy, you know, West coasty IPA. Um, yeah. And for them, you know, for Geary's, this is, this is one of those classic beers in, in the canon of main history. It's, you know, the HS, HSA was, you know, they, they brewed it in the, in the tagline used to be though, I think DL eventually soured on this was, you know, they brewed it when the weather sucks. Um, and it may be because a lot of Maine's weather sucks. I'm sorry for the, you know, there it's beautiful a lot of the time of the year, but very, very, very cold other times and a little gray. 
get some mud season in there. But, you know, they they now make it on a year round basis. And it was that classic, you know, English style pale, you know, you know, typical crystal malts, you know, some, you know, Cascade East Kent Golden kind of hops, you know, you know, it was a very, very well balanced Ringwood beer. But it also had some toasted notes in there. It was a beautiful. Yeah, this is a beautiful. Now, I guess it's kind of a a throwback kind of IPA, but at the time it was, it was kind of leading edge here, but go ahead. No, I, I am looking at the website right now. It says winter, war- Maine's original winter warmer, which yep. I'm sure it is. 7% ABV was back then was probably a super high ABV beer. If it, Cause you weren't doing, I would say there wasn't anything in the middle. You'd have like your styles that had to be in these ABV categories and there wasn't anything in those in the middle range where it was like not 5%, but not 10%. And this was like right in the middle at seven. And it wasn't like a style you would expect at 7%. So I would, from what I was hearing from my beer geeks who are older friends, uh, they were saying, yeah, HSA was one of those beers that like you kind of didn't know what to do with and you yeah. loved at the same time. Yeah, that is that is well put. Um, I don't know if we hit three there or not, but I think we might have. So Carla, let's you know talk to actually we do we even talk with do we even get you through all of them? We didn't even mention Bissell in the IPA category. This is this is interesting. I wanted to throw back to Ben. When people come and visit Portland, and I know they ask you all the time, where are the three breweries that you send them for hazies? What is your top hazies? Like breweries. Uh, like where do you go where you just know that they're gonna get hazies, they're gonna be happy at the end of the day? Bissell, definitive, and right now Bellflower. Yep, yep. I, I yep. would agree with that. Bellflowers, Bellflowers are relatively new, and I think they're like two, three years old, and uh, they're doing some great beer. Um, they're they're kicking butt. Um, so these are breweries a- we haven't really talked about. Ben, just walk us through, and we'll. You know, I, I imagine we'll talk about Bissell a lot. It has not come up as much as I thought it might have, uh, because now we're promoting Allagash's IPAs, which I would never in a million years have thought we were going to talk about, and as much as HSA, but. Talk us up, you know, tell us about, um, you know, Bellflower, you know, I think you mentioned Definitive, um, and you know, talk us through those two, because I'm sure we'll talk Bissell again. Uh, Definitive is fantastic. They, they're in the Industrial Parkway, uh, across the street from Allagash, not in the original sort of pod building, but they have a, another Industrial Park building there. Uh, they have a couple locations. Uh, they've been opening up locations like crazy in the last couple of years, which is great, but they are known for opening their brewery with a Kolsch and a Session IPA and a really good Hazy IPA. And they've kind of evolved their Hazy. And basically now you see a lot of their rotating beers either be Hazy IPAs or Kettle Sours with different flavors. Um, they're, they're really good at that. And their Kettle Sours range from different viscosities, if you will. But um, yeah, their IPAs are fantastic. Uh, their Kolsch is probably some of the best, one of the best Kolsch's I would say in the state. Um, and then when you go to Bellflower, it's uh, the former brewery Extrava. So you were saying that uh, you wish that more breweries would open up with Belgian beers as their focus. And brewery Extrava tried to do that a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, they did not succeed. Um, I still have a couple of their quads in my fridge. Some of my favorite beer I've ever had. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, they, Bellflower took over that space. And the pedigree of brewing came from uh, Trillium and Lone Pine is the owners mm-hmm. worked there for a long time before opening up Bellflower and uh, yeah, they're, they're known for their just sort of doing really solid styles, um, including their hazy IPAs, which have been quite a bit rotating lately. And they just, they nail every style from my opinion, like when they brew something, it's pretty good. Carla, what do you have to add in terms of uh, IPAs? Do you want to hit the, yeah, I want to hit the, the not hazy side. So if you're, if you're like me and you got attached to the West coast IPAs and and can't quite get your head around, uh, you know, loving the, the haze, um, I would say, I know it's not technically in Portland, but Maine Beer Company is still at the mm-hmm. top of that list. They're, they make excellent beer, and most of it is of an IPA bent. Um, some of it's West Coast style, some of it's more uh, kind of you know classical, um, but they're all excellent and impeccable, and you'll never get one that disappoints you. It's just it, their quality standards are insane. Um, and then I would also add to that, um, both Rising Tide and Banded Brewing make excellent uh uh you know kind of really that piney resinous you know the stuff that we remember from 10 years ago awesome you know west coast style ipas um bandit has this beer called viridian which like it's just sappy and sticky and wonderful um rising tide has one called cutter um which uh they name a lot of their stuff up there um 
nautical things. So it's like a type of boat and uh, it comes out periodically. It's excellent. But they also have a year round beer called uh, Main Island uh, Trail Ale, which is a, like a pale ale, but it's nice and hoppy, um, but not being that kind of hazy uh, hop profile. It's just very, very easy drinking. They just uh, last year changed that to being a year round beer, which made me very excited because they used to uh, like have it like basically from April through the summer only. Um, and it became like the beer you had to like stock your fridge with all summer. Um, but it's just a great easy drinker. But both um, Bandit and Rising Tide, you know, brew periodically different IPA styles and they don't really do they don't really do the hazy thing uh, often like they'll do like one or two. But they if you're looking for that kind of like really bitter good you know kind of uh west coast style that's typically where i'll send people within portland for that um foundation's good at them too but they also have hazy so it's kind of like but i would say uh, rising tide and bandit kind of lean more in the non-hazy direction we haven't really gotten too much into bissell so they sort of are kind of a category onto their themselves they're i don't know if they're the third wave or the fourth wave of breweries in portland um, yeah. But Ben, tell me, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, Bissell and its role in the in the Portland beer scene. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now that you said wave, I kind of want to figure out what the waves were in Portland and who was on the three waves. I, I think that's four, third wave like, because the first wave is like Geary, right? And, mm-hmm. and the second wave was like all the 90s brew pubs. And then the third wave was like Rising Tide, Bissell main beer like that early 2000s yeah. group and then like we're in the fourth wave now which is like hazy explodey land that was in the last mm-hmm. five years so I, I feel like that's third wave if i if i, if I had to argue that I, I i feel like this is what i'm talking about when i'm saying like the craft beer boom in portland is really the third one yeah um yeah sorry to interrupt go ahead <laughs> go ahead ben I, about that I, I i was about to literally say like let's define what those are you did it perfectly uh yeah, Bissell is, they're a different category. They're a category of their own. Um, I'm just trying to put words into it. They were known for their IPAs uh, for the longest time and, and are still, obviously. Um, you know, I've seen a thousand people wait in line for their Swish IPA mm-hmm. and their old before. So they're certainly known for their hazy single and double IPAs, sometimes triples. Um, and yeah, they've, they started in an industrial way, just like a lot of breweries that we were talking about today did. And uh, they were only brewing a few styles, their substance IPA, their swish double IPA once in a while, their, you know, their summer IPAs, um, and they would branch out. See, now when you go to their brewery, they have definitely one of everything in a lot of ways because they don't just focus on their IPAs, although they have predominantly IPAs on tap. But, you know, you'll see Baltic Porters, you'll see Pilsners, Lagers, they have, they're having a Kolsch day soon. Um, so they've definitely branched out and the styles that they brew, they definitely hit them on the mark. You know, it's one of those breweries that you would expect would only be good at one thing, but when you try everything else, you're like, oh, you actually nail everything that you do, not just the one thing that we all know you for. Uh, and that's fantastic to see in a day and age where everybody's just like, oh yeah, I just, I want to stand in line for hazy IPAs. And you're like, yeah, but have you tried the Baltic Porter? Yeah. (laughs) And it seems like Bissell also is, is taken taken a little bit of a nod uh, and some advice from the leadership that Allagash has played in the local community. Bissell seems to have done, you know, this is from someone who is uh, at a bit of a, a remove from the town, but they seem to be an important partner uh, in the community, uh, you know, ones that are trying to also encourage other breweries as well, as well as being just involved in in community affairs. I saw that on the local baseball team, they now have a, now have a giant inflatable uh, substance can that is an advertisement out in the outfield uh, but they they always seem to be doing you know pretty good stuff and to be pretty good stewards there as well. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I and I want to echo too what Ben says about that kind of they got known for you know kind of being the disruptors. They were one of the first really breweries, if if not the first, to focus on hazies when they got out the gate. But their diversification of their of their lineup is excellent. And I keep telling people like, if you haven't been to Bissell for a while, or even if hazies are not your thing, you can, you need to go back yeah. over there because they're, they're making some excellent beer. Um, and not that they weren't making excellent beer before, but they're making excellent beer outside of their wheelhouse, what I would have considered their wheelhouse. Um, but yeah, it is a lot of that. Um, they started, um, they helped a lot of uh, breweries figure out distribution. They they helped a lot of people um, kind of solve problems that they came across first. Because again, they yeah. were they were in that little earlier wave, um, you know, and they you know have been very supportive of the beer industry as a whole. They're very participatory in all of the main brewers guild stuff. Like they they really want the industry as a whole to succeed because it's a you know it, it helps everybody when that happens. 
Uh, Carla, let's talk about lager. Um, mm. You know, my, d- near and dear to both of our hearts. Where are yep. three places that you're going for lager? Uh, Bunker tops that list for me because they, it's funny, they never get mentioned in like the top, you know, breweries to go visit, but they make some really excellent beer and they're just hidden behind this little warehouse thing. Nobody yep. ever goes there, but I, I, I think they have some excellent lager, like their machine pills is really good. We get that um, all, they, all over Boston yeah, now. I don't have any idea why, and it's always what I'm, I'm reaching for. It's super I love good. seeing that beer. Uh, it's super good. Um, also, um, you know, if we've had uh, the one that people have probably heard of, we have Sacred Profane, which is down in Biddeford. It's not technically in Portland, but um, they're focusing on just two styles of lager. So, um, you know, it's kind of like that's their whole wheelhouse. Um, it's it's an interesting business model. And I, I I think that that's it's kind of in that, you know, kind of McSorley's vein, but without being so um, without being as casual as that. Yeah. Um, kind of having a light, having a dark, but, you know, trying to do those two as best as you can. And both beers are, are quite good. Um, and then from there, a lot of the breweries recently, just in general, all over Portland have expanded into making lagers and they're doing a decent job. And it, it, it's kind of keeps surprising me and it shouldn't. Um, but like foundation brewing company has a, has a couple of German style lagers that they pour, you know, from the Czech side tap and stuff. They're great, you know, and it's, it's kind of, been a fun little treasure hunt to see who's doing lagers well because they're starting to add them into their lineup next to their typical beers so i'm not sure that i would say other than other than um what do you call it sacred profane that there's you know too many breweries that are really focused on mm-hmm. lagers uh, maybe other than uh new brewery up, up in the middle of nowhere in new gloucester but uh but the fact that like you can kind of find good ones throughout the city is, is really encouraging. And I I've been, you know, very, very pleased with how well they've come out because they're tricky to brew. Um, and I've had, you know, not good lagers before, yeah. but I, yep. but I've, I think that people have, you know, had enough time to kind of dial that in that it's, it's been kind of exciting to find them where you find them, um, you know, kind of among these breweries that wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily call any of them a lager brewery. If that makes sense. Ben, what are your thoughts? Any any additions for in, any breweries to visit for lager in Portland? I think Carlos got a good point. Um, I wish the lager category was as notorious as uh, like a hazy IPA category where people were known for that style. Um, and I would say Sacred Profane is the only one that's known for just lagers uh, in, in Maine right now. I would think maybe other people are known for their lager or a couple of their loggers, but not like they're known for just doing loggers um, as like a reputation. <clears throat> and Sacred Profane has been absolutely crushing it. I pretty much always have their dark lager in my fridge at all times. Um, and I feel like Carla's right when it comes to loggers, it's basically everybody's kind of starting to make one and they are, it's not a hit or miss, but you can tell who's nailing it, who's doing it well, um, and who's you know just really, really nailing it well. Uh, I think everybody's got a logger on tap at this point, and I'm really happy about it. And Ben, uh, to sort of move into a different category, what is a one can't miss beer bar in Portland? Can't miss beer bar. Uh, Navari? Is this a trick question or is this? <laughs> well, this is this is the question because yeah, I think it's it's such a fantastic drinking city, and you know, obviously, Great Lost Bear is a place with you know tremendous history and a place that I think we've maybe have touched upon a little bit. Three Dollar Dewey's with with a bunch of history in the city, but these are much older generation kind of kind of beer bars. I think even before any of our times, and uh, Novari is is kind of this centralized place. But I will we'll ask Carla to to go beyond uh, Novari next uh, in the next question here. But Ben, tell us about Novari and its role in and in the local scene. Uh, that's a big question. Uh, well, I suppose it's a big answer. Uh, so Novari started in two thousand eight, uh, and it was at the time one of the only bars doing pretty exclusively Belgian styles and, and international styles from Germany and Czech and other places and. You just didn't see that around town. And at the time, no one was really focusing on, you know, not uh, basically you had the $3 Dewey's and the Great Lost Bears, and then you had Navari. And you sort of, there weren't any in-betweens at the time. And Navari was like, so not pouring local beers originally. And so focusing on imports that everybody was like, oh, wow, like this is totally different than what everybody's doing. Uh, nowadays, they kind of split their tap lists up 50-50. You have a lot of locals, you have a lot of uh, import beers. 
uh, same thing. One of the only bars you can really get a good solid like Belgian beer on tap or German beer on tap. Um, but also you can see some local beers uh, highlight and they are kind of picky. You know, they do have a high quality standard, but um, it's, it's this bar that you walk into and it's in the basement. It's kind of grungy a little bit, but that kind of gives it to yeah. it kind of adds to the allure of everything. Um, there's this like chalice room where you can, uh, basically get your list. You buy a list. Uh, the list has 230 beers, which range from different countries and styles. So you kind of go through an exploration of different, you know, basically beer throughout the world in one bar. And once you finish that chalice list, you get this, you know, this margarita looking glass, but it's still special because you went through the whole process to get it. And speaking of someone who I know has such a glass, Carla, tell us about your relationship with Navari. Ask Ben how many glasses he has. <laughs> I went through the list twice and I'm on my third one. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you two are nuts. And yeah. it's Carla, explain what this means. Yeah. So it's a, uh, what I like about this program, there's a lot of places where you can get like a mug club, right? You can, you know, if you drink X number of beers, they put your name on a mug and they put it on the ceiling. But what Ben was saying is that what was different about this is that it's a prescribed list that goes through all of these different beer styles. So it's kind of forcing you to have a beer education. You can't skip the sours if you don't like sours. You can't avoid a Roush beer. You can't, you know, if you don't like hops, too bad. You've got a section, yeah. on, you know, that's very hoppy. And I think that for especially with a growing um, interest in craft beer coming along with that third wave of breweries, they kind of filled this niche of like educating people to prepare them for these styles and give them the best examples of those styles that they could find. So you're not going to a bar and getting a mediocre IPA and going, oh, I hate all IPAs, right? You're going to a bar and getting, you know, three of the best, you know, IPAs that are brewed that they can get their hands on. And if you don't like that, then maybe you don't like IPAs, right? So it's it's a really kind of an interesting process. But yes, I did finish mine some during the pandemic. During the pandemic, I don't know, but I but it, that's really fun, and it's and it's something too that now there's this camaraderie that you've all gone through this and and done this. Um, I enjoy that they put a lot of local beer on it as well as the imports. So there's. Um, oftentimes beer that I can't get at other bars, uh, are always on at Novare. Um, so I always enjoy going in there cause I know there's something I, I haven't had. And that sounds so like, you know, beer ticker, you know, but like <laughs> I, I, I look at that list and I'm always like, Oh, I want that and that and that, and I've never had any of those. So it, it makes me happy to, to walk in there. And it's just a, such a community vibe. Everybody's, you know, the bartenders will know you after a couple of stops in, you know, there's, there's some really, you know, great regulars that are always there. I always, I always end up talking to strangers while I'm there yeah. and have some excellent conversation. You can sidle up to the bar and like literally talk to anybody. Um, it's just one of those bars uh, that has that, that, that awesome vibe. I think it's been very um, important to the Portland beer scene as kind of like the central meeting place for a lot of like beer nerd nerding things. Yeah, I think that is a good way to put it. It really is kind of that central meeting spot. Um, in addition to, you know, as Ben mentioned, the kind of subterranean, a little bit, a little bit dark, a little bit, you know, not quite seedy, but just is kind of again an interesting interior vibe. It has a massive outdoor like patio as well that is that is fantastic. It actually does when Portland does have sun, you can catch a little bit of sun out there, um, and it's just kind of right in the center of the old port neighborhood the kind of downtown touristy area uh, of Portland. It's a fantastic place. But I'll ask Carla, beyond uh, Novare, what are other, what are some other, maybe not necessarily beer bars, uh, but places that you can get great beer, you know, especially if you're in the old port, which is probably where you are um, yeah. you know, if you're visiting Portland. Couple, couple come to mind right away. Uh, kind of in that same area that Navarre is in is the Thirsty Pig, which is um, a, an establishment that's run by somebody who's who's also very heavily involved in the Brewers Guild. So similar to the way that the Great Lost Bear has taken on, you know, showcasing breweries or bringing in new breweries. A lot of new breweries will do like a little launch event there. So like when they first open, that's where you can get their first beer. They'll have a little party, um, and they'll, you know, it'll be the first time you've ever met them. I've seen a million new brewers. I've met them at the at the uh thirsty pig and you know it's, it's a it's a smallish bar it has a deck out back so again we take advantage of our summers whenever we can um but uh but they do like basically sausages and they have a small tap list of beer but everything on there is really well curated but they'll have um back when we, uh, they used to do kind of main beer week and things of that nature they would have events there the main brewers guild hold held uh holds events there 
Um, and even like when we had the craft malt conference come in, they had an event where they brought in a whole bunch of um, different beers that were featured by, you know, people who are grain producers from all over the place. So it was, a, it was just a really cool uh, local hangout, very small. They have a lot of live music, so can be crowded in there, but it's, but it's really worth it. It's a, it's a fun vibe. I would also add um, the King's Head, um, which is more mm-hmm. close down to the water. Um they kind of also have that Novare bent of they wanted to bring in a lot of import beer that people weren't really drinking and say, hey, look, you know, there's this excellent German beer. There's excellent Belgian beer. Like you guys should be, you know, kind of experiencing that. They've, of course, mixed that with, you know, the local, the craft, but they have a similar program where you can go through and, and kind of drink through, you know, those styles and whatnot. But I, I like that bar because that, again, is a, another U-shaped bar. And everybody is cross-talking in there and having a good time. And the servers really know what they're talking about. They serve the beer really well. It's always taken care of. The tap lines are super clean. Like, it's it's one of those bars where you can tell that they care about the beer that they're serving you. Which, you know, in, in you know days where, you know, beer bars are a dime a dozen, that, that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just really great, friendly. And then total opposite of that, well, not not for the cleanliness, but just total opposite of the vibe, is the zoo. The Portland Zoo. So this is in near Rising Tide and uh, that kind of uh, what they call the East Bayside area. There was a brewery. It didn't happen as a brewery. The building sat abandoned for a couple of years. Somebody bought the building. And now it is a kind of nomad brewery slash beer garden. Hmm. And it's really the only kind of beer garden-ish thing that Portland has. So you basically go down this little alleyway. There's like a little shed that you can order the beer in. And then it's just tables, most of which are outside or just under an eave. They have bands that play. Families are in there. People are running around. But what that bar is to me is that's where like the locals end up when we don't want to go to the places that all the tourists have swapped. And it's just a it's a totally different laid back like nobody knows your name. Nobody cares who you are. Nobody cares, you know, what brewery you just, you know, got off shift at. You're all just sitting around drinking. And they have a couple of beers that they've brewed. I believe sent they brewed some at, ba- at Baxter and a couple of other places where they're kind of doing a, a shared brew space type deal. They don't have their own like brewing facility. But the beers are, they're, they're solid. You know, they're just, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a hoppy one and a not hoppy one and a, and it's just, it's good. And it's, uh, that's, it's just kind of like a very casual, like don't take yourself too seriously kind of place. Um, and I would recommend that uh, to to folks coming in, especially in the summer when you can sit outside, listen to some music, just chill out. Um, it's it's a good place to be. Ben, what do you think is a one great place that doesn't get enough attention or has been kind of flying under the radar? Maybe even a place that deserves a, a second look. Or a beer bar? It's hard for a beer bar because the beer bars are kind of established in Portland. There's not a lot of new ones, not a lot of places that are sort of underground. Um, I mean, there's bars in general that I like to hang out at that have great vibes that happen to have good beer, not a ton on tap, but like maps is a great yeah. place. Um, maps is a good one. A, their new renovation is amazing. It looks so nice in there right now. Um, it's got a cool vibe cause it's very small and there's literally maps all along the walls and ceilings and everything. Uh, <clears throat> and it's a place that used to be owned by music people, uh, who I think one of them was like the clothing manager for Mumford and Sons or something. It was, they worked for crazy musicians and they sold it to somebody else later on, but the vibe is still there. Um, you know, there's always sometimes cake on the bar that they make homemade. Um, I don't know if they still do that anymore. It used to be delicious. Uh, that's a cake bar. That's one of my, that sounds yeah, it's good. A cake bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, they're actually known for their grilled cheeses. Even better. <laughs> uh, so it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely a, fun place to go to um low lit for sure uh good beer but uh another place that's sort of i like three of strong oh i, I like the there much lot. yeah i like that i like that place a lot it's a it's a cool area if you're jumping around from rising tide to lone pine or bellflower you can always stop there in between and it's kind of a refreshing you know between your brewery hops you can go to a place that doesn't have beer that just has rum and you can have some really nice drinks what about you? What about a brewery that maybe deserves a second look or is flying under the radar, doesn't get enough attention, someplace that you may want to shout out? Yep. I say this all the time. Sebago. 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 So Sebago is, uh, they opened in the, the weird little middle ground. I know. <laughs> ben knew I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, uh, they were opened in that weird little middle ground of the 90s where not a lot of breweries survived. So they get forgotten. They're not, you know, they're not the Geary's and they're not the new wave. They're kind of stuck in the middle. 
but man, do they make some great beer. Yeah. Um, so they kind of had went off a brew pub model uh, after. So they they had a production facility. They still do. And then, you know, in the 90s, they made different brew pubs in different areas that were carrying the beer. So it was kind of that that model where you have a single production facility, but then multiple brew pub locations. And there used to be a brew pub location in just straight up downtown Portland that has unfortunately uh, closed because they're focusing on, they, they've basically made their headquarters in Gorham now they're like central place so like mm-hmm. it's a tasting room it's got a pizza thing in it like it's it's whole thing so they're kind of focusing towards that um they still have a couple of the satellite locations open but that one in downtown portland isn't there anymore but the beer in general is in my fridge all the time yeah it's just really solid it's easy drinking it's consistent they have a beer called fries leap which is just another one of those ipas that just it's what you think of when you think of an IPA and it's yeah. just delicious. It just hits the spot whenever you need it. Uh, and they do, you know, they do some, you know, uh, periodically other releases. They do a barley wine. That's really good. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, but typically it's, it's really their core lineup that really ends up, you know, the summer beer as in my fridge all summer. Fry's Leap is year round. They have Slick Nick, which is a winter kind of focused beer, but it's not a dark beer. It's delicious. They, they're they just, they're doing it right. And it, it to me, it's it's like an unfortunate thing of timing where nobody mentions them in the same breath as the history or the new stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I always have to give them a little bit of a shout out. So that's the, that's the beer that if you're coming up to Maine for a vacation, you buy that at the grocery store and bring it with you to camp. Like that's the beer that you I am a hundred percent with you. And I'm so glad that you raised Sebaco. You know, yeah. I'm a big fan, have been for a long time. They've been open since 98. And one of the co-owners, co-founders, Kai Adams, is this yeah. is this ball of energy. Obviously, he's been at this for, you know, what, like 25 years now, but he he sort of looks like a kid still. And he just the first time I ever met him when I when I was doing the book, I I stopped by Sebago and he, you know, he was taking me on the tour and he said, you ever been at the top of a grain silo? And then he just started tearing up. He just got this new grain silo. He started tearing up the ladder to the grain silo. Silo. I followed him about halfway up, looked down about 30 feet. And I said, F this, I'm I'm out. Like, so, uh, you know, he's just, he's a character, yeah. but their beers are not ones that are necessarily going to blow beer geeks away and people who are looking for the next new thing. But man, are these solid drinkable beers that, as, as Carla said, you buy these in a 12 pack or something and you are going to be so happy you did. And you're going to be on your third one and you're gonna be like, this is just this is just good. This is solid where it's beer. At. Yeah, I think um, I think for this for this category, this question that, you know, that is the place that's that, the answer. That always that is the answer. I will ask uh, Ben, what's uh, what's our nickname for Kai? Uh, which one? <laughs> um, so Kai is, is a verb. By the yeah. way, Kai uh, is a verb. You got kied. Um, and then also uh, we've, uh, we've referred to him as the Kinado because he yeah. Kinado. So like he'll be at an event and mm-hmm. he will wrap everybody up into wherever everyone is going after that event, um, which is it's just always a good time. Yeah, it's uh, this this beer scene is is fantastic for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah, when you get when there's the kinado, you get kinapped. Uh, you get yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we up with like five different verbs that Kai would do. Yeah, and yeah. Um, to, to your point though, before you said beer geeks uh, may not. I, I think if beer geeks went to their tasting room, they actually do have a lot of single batch beers Excellent. that they out of the tasting room. Half yeah, their tap line in the tasting room is not what you can get on the shelves, and those can tickle a beer geek's interest quite quite well. I think. It has been a few years since I've been there, and now I'm excited to get back. Uh, every time I'm in Maine, I drink I drink some of Sebago's beer, but it has been a while since I've been there. So um, there's another my, reason to come up here. So uh, <laughs> never need never need an excuse. But before we kind of kind of close up shop here, um, I have a, one or two more questions for you. But we'll start with Ben here. Um, you know, basically, if you had just you know, kind of one evening, and you had folks coming in from out of town, and you could maybe go to a you know just two or three places. Where are you starting and, and how's the rest of your evening going? Ooh, okay. Um, <clears throat> let's have them experience all of Maine's beverages, I would say, in general. Okay. Um, I would say in the beginning, you can wake up, go to uh, Marcy's Diner. Um, that's a great place. They have actual beer now, on uh, beer now, and they have different flavored mimosas. So that's a great place to sort of start the day drinking uh, probably lunch at Bissell Brothers. They have a great kitchen, good history of Maine beer there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, I mean, every night that I take somebody out, it's, it's always going to end at Navari. So that's just the end point. Yeah. But this is what happens in between that, basically. 
Um, I think Opre is a nice place to sort of show people um, where Portland's going. Um, it's a nice, uh, it's a hard seltzery. It's a, it's a brewery that makes hard seltzers basically um, exclusively and well, and some ciders and they are really flavorful and they rotate their flavors quite a bit. Um, the vibe is very like almost bougie inside, very upscale, nice, um, <clears throat> but approachable. And that's a really nice spot. And when you get there, you're kind of in the middle of that uh, East Bay side where you can jump from brewery to brewery or go to three of strong. So then you can sort of play it by ear, see what kind of beers they're into. And they can go to whatever brewery within, you know, there's 10 breweries within uh, two blocks of that space. Um, <clears throat> and then I would mosey my way for dinner up to probably Great Lost Bear, um, have a couple sausages, maybe GLB, uh, or sorry, uh, Thirsty Pig. And, you know, maybe you can go to GLB and then Thirsty Pig because they, you know, you can pr probably, as your day drinking, keep eating um, at both places. And then obviously edit Navari whenever they feel like just going to their final destination. Like I can go to Navari at five and close it out because it's a place you can hang out at for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Carla, I'll ask you the same question. You know, if you had an evening out, where are you taking folks? And also, why does it end with karaoke? Yeah, <laughs> because you're with me. That's yeah. that's why it ends with karaoke. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I tend to, you know, kind of think about... I tend to narrow this down for people before I go. Like, are you a happy person? Or are yeah. you not a happy person? But if I wanted to give people like a real good spectrum of everything, probably for like lunch, like the kind of food and beer situation, I'd, I'd probably either opt for High Roller Lobster or uh, Foul Mouth Brewing, um, which yeah. is just in South Portland. Really good food, little cozy environment, good variety, but also just nice comfort food, like gives you a good base for the rest of the day. And then you kind of really have the choice of, do I go up to the Industrial Way area or do I go to basically that East Bayside type area and when i'm like walking around with people if it's not there for like the purpose of trying as many beers as possible i usually opt for east bayside because there's really a variety of styles down there and it's close to food industrial way is one weakness is that you can't like walk to a restaurant from there yeah. whereas whereas uh east bayside you could go to rising tide you know where they have a really great spectrum of beer you know maybe you're getting a west coast ipa there then you could walk it around the corner to bellflower you know try some of their hazies or try some of that that baltic porter that they've got on um or and then you can go up the hill and oxbow's got excellent sours on and they've got you know like and that little strip right there that street has a whole bunch of restaurants on it um you know that you could go for food they've got they've also got you know distillers up there they've got an oyster bar like it can be kind of a nice like touch uh touch point usually i end up at novare um you know if i'm bringing a beer person out um and and that's not that far from two places that do karaoke so that's, <laughs> that's why there's there's now there's now two so there's one that i go to that only does it once a week but there's another bar that is actually near where Sebago's old place used to be that does it every night. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's easy <laughs> to drag somebody down there because it's like, Oh, it's a Tuesday. It doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's yeah. go sing. You know? So, but, I, but it's, it's kind of amazing because like I have some friends that are like total hopheads. I have some friends that like only drink dark beer and I have some, you know, like they have very specific styles and I could bring them to five or six places to satisfy those styles. And I'm, I feel like really grateful to be in the middle of that instead of just being, okay, we have 15 breweries and they're all brewing the same thing. They're all yeah. doing really unique things. And I, I think that's one of the coolest things about Portland, Maine. Ben, Carla, I want to thank both of you for coming on. This has been a, a real deep dive into Portland, its history, its current you know, situation. It's such a fantastic beer city. If people need a you know a great vacation destination, I you know it's fantastic in the winter. It's amazing in the summer. It can be a little bit crowded with tourists, but it is it it stacks up. We didn't even get into the dining scene even hardly. Uh, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's on the water. It's got a lot of heritage. It's a fantastic city to visit. Um, but we'll start with Ben. Where can people find you online and your work? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at ActiveBeerGeek. Um, same thing with Twitter. Same thing with uh, pretty much everything else. ActiveBeerGeek is my handle for a lot of things. And Carl, how about you? Yes. Thank you for coming on. Carl, how about yourself? 
Um, I'm probably most reachable on Twitter. I'm at Beer Babe on Twitter. I was not lucky enough to get the at Beer Babe on all of the other platforms. So please don't, <laughs> please do not confuse those folks with me. Uh, my uh, beer related handle on uh, Instagram is uh, at Carla Jean Lauder. Um, but uh, but I'm definitely as as long as Twitter exists. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much longer Twitter is going to exist uh, as a place, but uh, that's where I'm chatting up most beer. And then I write a monthly column for Beer and Weed Magazine, which is a print magazine that is uh, available for. Pres- for a subscription anywhere you want, but also is uh, kind of distributed to local establishments too. So pick that up if you're in town. Um, it's kind of a mature, more mature look at the um, beer and weed scene, uh, you know, as opposed to that kind of, you know, uh, you know, college focused, you mm-hmm. know, let's, let's get stoned kind of uh, perspective. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a really neat take on, uh, on both the marijuana industry and the beer industry in, in Maine. Carla, Ben, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Beer Travelers podcast. If you have a suggestion for a town we should visit next, please drop us a line at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Please give our podcast a review wherever you listen. It really helps folks find out about us. And if you like the episode, tell a friend and post on your socials. Interested in learning more about connecting with an engaged, energetic, and interested audience of curious beer consumers and brewers? We have many different advertising opportunities, including through our podcasts, website, newsletter, and social media channels. For more information, please contact us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. My pick for a place to have a beer in Portland, Maine, is the basement bar at Gritty McDuff's. From its popular 4th Street location, just steps from the cobblestones of Wharf Street, Gritty's is both a mainstay on the Maine brewing scene and an anchor in Portland's historic Old Port District. When it opened in 1988, Gritty's became Maine's first brew pub since Prohibition, and was an early pioneer in the state's craft brewing movement. Gritty's focused on cask beer and English styles, which are certainly not in the modern favor. But the basement bar during a snowy day or night in the winter, where you can just look out into the falling flakes, is perfection. I'd recommend a Best Bitter or a Black Fi Stout.